welcome to the Well Played VHS podcast, Well Played's film and TV discussion podcast. I'm Zach Jackson and I'm joined by James Wood. I'm so happy to be here talking about films and TV. Nathan Hennessy is also here. Indeed I am. And the great man, Well Played fan royalty, Mr. Buddy Watson, host of Radio Watson. How are you? Good, sir. I am good. How are you, Zach? I'm going all right, mate. I'm going all. I'm, I'm going all right, mate. <laughs> I'm break, doing well. Choking up. up already. Choking up from the last episode. It was a tough episode. Right. Yeah. Well, we are here. We're here to discuss the last of episode two. Buddy, give us a quick 30 second thoughts on the episode one, on, on episode one for you. I uh, thought it was fantastic. Um, I loved the kind of extra exposition and time they gave to. Um, I guess the, the the pre-break, the pre-outbreak with Sarah's character, character, especially people that kind of you don't have agency of playing the game. You need something more to kind of care for it instead of just controlling a character and having that um, kind of experience. And uh, yeah, everything else I kind of loved up until then. I think the casting's perfect, and yeah, that's pretty much it. Nice, very cool, very cool. Well, episode two dropped yesterday, or maybe two days ago, whenever this comes out, but it's out now. Uh, Nathan, you're fresh off watching. James, you and I are going off memory here, um, <clears throat> but we've got a run sheet, so we'll be we'll be fine. Plenty to talk about. Nathan, what did you think of episode two? Well, uh, look, I'm still I'm still formulating my thoughts. I wasn't as look. I was very much entertained, which is what I said last week. I probably wasn't as thrilled as I was with episode one. I thought that made a remarkable first impression on me, for better and worse. This kind of felt like we were just walking through something that I've been exposed to many times in the game already, a particular couple of sequences from early on, and I don't know that it had a whole lot more to contribute to my experience, but I do think that if I hadn't played the game and seen those sequences as many times as I have, it would probably land pretty good, I would hope. Buddy, uh, how'd you find episode two? I really enjoyed it. Um, I thought we got great development between Joel and Ellie, their back and forth kind of banter and, and what we kind of see later on in, in the series. Uh, also, also kind of being in the world, I thought that was fantastic. And um, knowing that what was going to happen in this episode, just kind of based on the timeline, uh, was didn't make it any less kind of impactful. But yeah, I, I kind of I liked, liked everything. I loved the cold open as well in, in Jakarta. Yes. Um, with the kind of, I think what's the professor she is and how they kind of link that back to like maybe the origins of the outbreak. I thought that's fantastic. And if they're going to do more of that at the start of each episode, which I, I kind of, I guess you guys already know if it is going to do that. I think that's a fantastic way to kind of, um, once again, world building, get little bits and pieces here. My wife kind of thought, uh, asked her what she thought, not having played the game. She thought not, she said, not a lot happened, did it? Um, but I guess that's kind of going back to what you said there, Nathan, about maybe not adding anything extra than kind of what you know what's coming. But um, my favorite thing about The Last of Us is the world and just kind of that relationship with Joel and Ellie and, and seeing that develop. So, um, yeah, I, I really liked it, even though uh, it could be a little bit of a, I guess, of a, a nothing episode or a throwaway that maybe, you know, kind of like what Kim said before, nothing mm-hmm. really happened. So, Cool. Um, all right. So if you are listening and if you haven't seen it, this will be a spoiler cast. So, um Maybe maybe jump out, save it for later, and come back in sixty or so minutes when you've watched it. Um, so once again, full spoilers ahead. 
So strap in, boys. We're going for a ride. Um, just speaking of rides, the second – so the first episode pulled in 4.7 or something million viewers. This is on HBO's stats, so not the uh, millions that are watching on Binge. But um, uh, episode two is gone, is it's risen again. So they've pulled in uh, 5.7. So it's it's gone a further mill, uh, which is an increase of twenty two percent apparently, um, which is I'm just reading this from Collider. Shout outs to them, big fans of this podcast. Uh, it marks the largest growth of any HBO original drama from the premiere to week two. So that's pretty good. It's pretty huge, and sales of the game have like exploded. It's like a three and something percent for the remastered version, and. 200 and something percent of the part one. I don't remember the exact figures there, but um, they're in there. If you want to go and fact check that, go for it. Um, James, you, you're the reviewer. What did you think of episode two uh, when you watched it a couple of weeks ago after the first one? Yeah, I think this one is um, probably the best encapsulation of just like a pretty good zombie episode. Um, I don't think it's particularly revolutionary in much of what it does, save for I think it's opening scene. I've seen a lot of talk about it on Twitter, and I think I'm, I'm sure everyone here would agree. Like it is is definitely one of the better moments I think of this episode. Um, so our, our cold open in Indonesia with um, a name I just got up and then immediately tabbed away from because I'm not it's good at this. Uh, an actress named Christine ha- oh, Hakim. Um, she plays uh, the professor that is effectively the first to discover what is about to happen to the world. So she gets called to examine a body and she cuts open in a great bit of body horror like does a little incision and then you can see something going on underneath the skin and then she pulls out the tendrils and they're still moving and the terror that she sort of exhibits in these moments um you know we cut to her in in an office having a cup of tea and she's like bomb the city i'm gonna go spend this last like day with my family like it's such quiet reservation um Mm. sort of um acceptance of of what's to come here and i think that it, it sets the tone really well for this episode um i I said this in my review as well. I, I wish it was something that we saw a little bit more of um, just because I think that uh, moving this thing to TV, expanding out its world, that's where your, your bread and butter should have been. Um, you know, for the rest of the episode, it's a pretty straight telling of what happens at this point in the game. Um, whether that works for you or not is going to vary from person to person. I thought it was fine. Um, the clicker. How, how do we feel about the clicker? Like the, I guess like the big clicker in the, in this episode. I know there's a bunch of them sort of, you know, down in a street somewhere, but they, they have like an extended interaction with one in the museum. So how, how are we feeling about how they're presented here? Positive. So just very, very quickly, uh, I can't remember if we discussed this last week, James and Nathan, mm. but the clickers are played by the same actors who played the clickers in mm. the video game yeah, or the mocap, right. I guess. Correct. Yeah. Um, which is pretty cool. Pretty, pretty cool. But, it's uh, cool. Yeah. Buddy? Thoughts on the clickers? Did you click with them? <laughs> oh, Zach Jack is special. Um, yeah, I really liked them, actually. I love the look. I love the kind of, I guess, the sound effects. Um, just the, I guess, the eerie motions, even having the, the kind of the clicks off screen and, and seeing the characters kind of react to that imminent danger of and what that kind of means and how... I think they do a good representation of how, like, there was only two of them there and how one or two of them can be a threat just like they are in the game. It's because as soon as they get a hold of you in the game, you're pretty much dead unless you have like a, 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 sh- a shiv made out. So I think they did a good job of making the, the clickers more like, built, built up more than I guess those, those normal runners. So um, yeah, I, I loved it. And I kind of, kind of the whole 
behind the glass scene where you could see the clicker through that and them just trying to be quiet and yeah i like that kind of stuff i think they, they definitely do a good job of because obviously in the game they're terrifying because they're so hard to kill and they can just kill you so easily but here obviously you can't you can't just go and kill joel and have him respawn at the start of the museum so i think they think they do a pretty good job of making like their fear of um you know what they are and, and what they're capable of is i think what what do, uh, is done well here as opposed to your fear as the player kind of thing um yeah well, well that, that's how i uh, saw it anyway mm-hmm. cool yeah um all right we'll go no, sorry. Yeah, I'll, I'll just quickly touch on that. So a couple of thoughts. Uh, firstly, I thought the design of them, like how they look visually, was fantastic. I thought they looked really nice, like scary, but also quite nice. Yeah, they've got a nice little head adornment on them. And I think they're attractive in their own way. You know, well, It's almost like a headpiece you'd see in Elden Ring. It right? is, isn't like it? It's that level of intricate and ornate. Yeah, you know. yeah. So I think that oh, I, that was really positive for me. But also... Are you the, swiping right or swiping left? I think I'm swiping right. I think I could definitely, you know, spend some time on the couch, uh, rip a few bowls with the boys and have a real nice time with these. Yeah. Um, but no, moving on. Um, this is, I think, a perfect example of what James is saying, at least for me, in terms of this being like a very much a classic zombie fair. Like the fact that we get treated to the introduction to these two clickers is very much through the lens of what you'd see in a zombie film, right down to the fact that there's a bit of a right at the start, you know, Joel's got a bloody like M16 or something. He fires two shots and throws the motherfucker away and goes for a bit of a run. And we're full, we have a little fall over sequence as well. We're tripping over each other and we're all just a bit, um, a bit clumsy. And I don't know a hundred percent. Like I kind of, I, I kind of glazed over a little bit just cause I felt like I was a little bit, maybe my expectations were a bit higher here rather than just seeing the clickers as what I would expect any kind of predator in a zombie film to do and behave like, and the humans to react in much the same way. Um, but I, I really like some of the, the tracking shots and I thought the lighting was quite nice. Like the lighting was a bit touch and go, but there was a point there where they were crouched down below a, a cabinet and you're just seeing sort of the reflection of Joel shining, not even intentionally, but he's got a torch shining on the ground and the reflection of that back up on him was a really nice way to light that scene. I thought, um, so it was it was all right. So we'll just quickly we'll jump back to the start, and I think one thing that's interesting from what James said is that this is a very uh, beat by well not beat by beat but very you know what you play in the game is kind of what you get here yeah. at least towards a certain part of. Uh, but this episode is actually directed by Neil Druckmann himself. So uh, whether that's part of that reason, you know, why they chose this this episode for him to direct it, maybe. Um, but yeah, so uh, as as we've all kind of said, uh, it starts in Indonesia in Jakarta. And you've got the doctor. What what I did like is how she is like, nah, can't happen. Mm. It's not. It's it is not possible for these cordyceps, cordyceps, what are they? Are, cordyceps, yeah. Uh, to to grow in humans, it just it just can't be done. Like they 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 die. Is that uh, I can't remember exactly if she said that they die or they just don't take to to humans or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, turns out. They do, and yeah, and then, then as James said, that that kind of fear that she was like, "No, nah, we are fucked um, here." Mm-hmm. And I think the one of the military guys, I think he explains, and I don't know if this is actually how 
is this meant to be the actual outbreak of this is the start of the virus? Because I can't remember exa- ex- yeah, exactly if, if this is the start of it. Yeah. So I think it starts in like it, it was in like a, a rice grain factory or like a flour, flour factory. F- flour. Yeah. 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 Um, so basically, yeah, uh, one of the workers got sick. Then obviously it got, it got into the flour and then uh, and that's why the cake, which is... Am I and pancakes? If we're going back to first episode, it is. It is first episode. For a yep. second, I thought, oh, have have I gone into episode three here? Yeah. So um, I know that um, like bloody IGN did a TikTok or something on this where like dude was going on at length that um, you know that Sarah didn't have pancakes. She was going to get pancakes. Yeah, yeah. They mm. were going to get a birthday cake. You know, they were going to. She was going to have biscuits yeah, with right. the neighbors. The flower uh, industrial mean? complex. Yeah, yeah. Joel, Joel's on the Atkins diet, so he's not <laughs> eating <laughs> bread or whatever. That, that's what he says in Keto, episode baby. one as well. So, um, but um, I, I think before we move on should, from yeah. Jakarta, I just wanted to quickly say we had a little moment there that I kind of almost took for granted for a moment because you see a lot of these really soft cues in things like Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. But we get told, you know, one of the workers got sick, and then she asked the question, "Well." You know, have we accounted for them? Yeah, we locked them up. Um, you know, have we lost count of any other workers? Yeah, 14 have basically gone missing. She doesn't say anything, but you see just very subtly, um, she, she's mm-hmm. just kind of losing control of her wrist. She's got a tea in her little, yeah. little plate and she, she she can't quite control them. Just a nice little subtle touch. Blink and you miss it. Mm. Very neat. Mm. Well, it's, yes. funny, it's funny you say that because um, in one of the interviews, what's Craig Mazin, is it? Yeah, yep. Yeah, I think that's what um, we landed on. Yeah, yeah, he was he was saying that um, the cold opens were inspired by Vince Gilligan. So oh, is that right? Bring it, yeah, you bring mm. it back to like Breaking Bag or Better Call Saul. Um, it's just funny how they do those kind of cold cuts and how they can kind of tell a different part of the story. So that was he, yeah, oh. totally intentional. Mm. Well, Good link. I'm a bit chuffed. Good on him. That that definitely worked. Um, yeah, and then she pretty much says no because they the military bring her in, being like you're the one who's best suited to get us a vaccine. So Let's do it. She's like, there is no vaccine. There is no chance for anything. Yeah, just yeah. And then he's like, how do we, how do we fix it? She's like, you can't. You just, with a bomb, um, which mm. is pretty cool. Start uh, well, bombing or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I do want to say so. Uh, Caroline Pet. Uh, Petit, Pet, I never know how to pronounce that name. I apologize. Um, in their write-up on Kotaku, they bring up a really interesting point I hadn't even considered myself, but um, the idea of starting a viral outbreak narrative with an Asian woman as the um, specific origin point uh, visually on screen, just and how that has has some really uncomfortable connotations with the kind of racism we've seen around COVID-19 and whatnot, um, and just one of those choices that in an episode that I think later on this this show makes another choice that is a little bit tone deaf i think in what it's doing um i just i found that a really interesting sort of passing observation i just wanted to give it a shout out nice but if um, you looked at this in isolation would, would you still mm. have that or would, would, would do you think that criticism oh. would be fair in isolation I mean, I, I would say that, especially given how episode one opens with like a, a basically a straight down the camera, like wouldn't a global pandemic be crazy? Uh, um, I, 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 I think that this show knows, it, I don't think it's intentionally malicious or anything, but like, I do think that um, you can't look at it in that isolation when it opens with what it opens with initially. No, good so. point. Good point. The, the only counter to that is kind of that um, 
that redditor that kind of went down that kind of rabbit hole of um, saying that, that this is the biggest flour mill in, in the world and, mm. and even in the game um, a lot of the like collectibles and stuff say that it was uh, like food and drug FDA said so that that's how that kind of spread so right I, yeah I, I don't know yeah yeah no I, I just I, again I, I'm neither committed or not committed to that idea I just thought it was interesting mm. And what you're saying before about the episode one, I liked how it was like, if this happens, we're fucked. And it kind of mirrors that in episode two, like, oh, it happened. Yeah, we're, we're, we're fucked. So. Yeah. Can I ask, buddy, do you think then that um, based on what you've seen, the show is kind of like setting up a bit of a pace or a bit of a pattern with its cold opens? Uh, from what I've seen so far, uh, I'd say yes. And I kind of ex- expect it to continue mm. and i'm actually yeah. surprised that there hasn't been more flashbacks during the episode and maybe that they're using the cold opens to kind of compensate for that because they don't want to use too many flashbacks as like a normal trope i'm sure we'll get some of them towards the latter end of the series like we did in episode one where we got the you know the the one second flash of uh joel and and sarah when he confronts the like the um the federal guard and that kind mm-hmm. of sets him off in some yep. triggered P- ptsd rage but so i think they're trying to use that sparingly and then use the cold opens to kind of of build the world without overdoing it i would agree i can't wait to talk to you about next week <laughs> oh, what, oh, do you okay. know something james <laughs> uh so then we move to well i don't say the present day but the the current timeline of the show uh so you got joel tess and ellie there in boston uh and y- y- you kind of like joel it probably you know he's doesn't want to do it he he's he's not keen He's not keen to do this. He's like, nah, let's just figure out a different way to get this battery. Uh, but Tess, Tess is, she's she's all in. Uh, like she's found, and I'm kind of stealing Kotaku's words here a little bit, but she's she's kind of found meaning in this mission or, you know, this delivery. Um, you know, that there's there's a bigger, they're playing a, a bigger piece in this, in this solving this puzzle, I guess. Not puzzle is probably not the right word, but so go on, James. Ask? Um, okay. As you know, two people here who have very recently seen the episode. Um, do you think that there is dialogue to support that read? Do you, do you think there's enough going on in her characterization that actually, because okay, the what happens at the end of the episode, like when she sort of sacrifices herself because she's been bitten and whatnot. I took that as a very jarring character turn because I didn't feel as if I understood why Tess was so committed to this. Like I think the game scene does a much better job of it because it's sort of like an instant flash moment for her when she sees her own bite versus Ellie's. It's a very like one-to-one of like why she suddenly believes in the cause. I didn't get that from the show, but I don't know mm. if that's just my memory faltering. I, I, I did a little bit. I can't remember any specifics, but there was a couple moments where, yeah, I, I don't remember. I can't remember words, but I just remember getting the, the feeling that she mm. was more invested, you know, more, yeah. She, like, she was making Joel do it, basically. Yeah. So here's where I want to throw a bit of a spanner in the works. I don't feel like the dialogue and the events that occurred during this episode actually made any kind of logical sense but rather it was fully in service of playing out some sequences from the game to a fault i'll give a couple of examples as to why i mean that particularly i want to start with the fact that what you've just mentioned there uh this this idea about tess being committed to the course now sure uh i didn't get that impression particularly at the very start of the episode what we see here uh rather when we go to the present day is we're playing straight off the back of the fact that they've just had a revelation that Ellie's been bitten and they still don't believe that she's not going to turn. So they've got her under close observation, gun pointed, 
And actually, Joel doesn't have a whole lot to say. He's a little bit nervous, but it's rather Tess who's very outspoken on the fact that we've got to watch this bitch. She's going to turn at any moment. She, yeah, she's made it through the night, but any moment now she's going to turn. And yet they still kind of just push on. And then oh, this then obviously... They're, they're making their way towards their destination the whole time, sort of looking over their shoulder. Is she going to turn? Is she going to turn? What are we doing about this? There's no... They, they simply cannot conceive a way that she is immune. It's it's inconceivable to them at this point in the episode. The only time that we see this change is at the end when Tess has been bitten and she sees how quick she turns and they have this little... A nice little comparative moment. I like that, where they get to compare bites. That was cool. But then this then leads on to the fact that they're going to then, we've got to go through the museum. This is where the episode really made me test my suspension of disbelief. To me, and absolutely correct me if I'm wrong here, there was no reason for this series of events to play out. Just take a different route. They go through the front door and immediately they're like, this place has got, you know, we, we're sus. Like we can hear something's going on. We can see, like, we know that we, we hope that there's no clickers in here, but within seconds, they hear noises, they know they're not alone, they're tiptoeing, and everything should scream, let's just walk around the building. Let's just find another route, and rather they go straight into the belly of the beast. And no, because they had, they had to get on the roof. That's right. But did they have to mm. go through the guts of the place? Like, I don't know. It, it felt like a lot of decisions that were made yeah, here probably there, weren't talked out. Like this one I'm talking about, like dialogue and, and cues here to get us to go along with the, the decision making. Um, but if you've played the game, you understand, like, this is just what we've got to do. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, that definitely wasn't the HBO startup so, sound. So, um, yeah, that, that's yeah. what I'm saying. So I had to suspend some disbelief here just so that we could go along with the, the events of the, the game for, for better and worse. Yeah, I was going to say, it feels very game logic. Yes. Um, and that's that works in a video game because it's a video game. Um, but mm. that's actually something my wife said as well. Um, Kim was saying, you know, not a lot happened, but I felt like they were doing a lot of things they were doing because it was a video game. So that was like an interesting observation. We just got to keep going that, forwards. That she she kind of made. So, but I feel like you have to expect that though. Well, yeah, I, 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 I saw it. As, well, I saw it as simple as like. Oh look, there's uh, you know, there's the infected on the street. Oh, we have to go through the museum so we can get our museum scene from the video game. Like it was as mm. it was like as throwaway. Yeah. That's a, that's how that. I saw it. Yeah. Yep. yeah. But they but they did have to go to the roof. Like like they went onto the roof. So yeah. I guess they they were going to go that way, and then they're like, well, the street's fucked. We will go the short way, and the short way was through that building. So that one building. That one building. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> the only building that could get to that part of the roof. Exactly. That's it. And, and and back to your point but there then, about um Tess's like Tess's motives and kind of not believing in that. I totally thought that as well. But I guess her getting the bite and her kind of starting to rush things up, it was like kind of this is just like another mission for those. Like how many of these runs have Te- Joel and Tess done where it could be the most absurd and insane stories that they've ever heard? So they're just kind of going along with the status quo. Then she gets bit and then she has the kind of epiphany. Well, well, fuck this. I'm just gonna die if this is just one other run. This actually has to like be for something. Yep. And 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 make it work. So I found her sense of urgency towards the end, even though it didn't marry up with what happened at the start. Like kind of prompted and from that almost hoping that this like this wasn't for for nothing and this like ellie is Mm. is the reason whether she believes that or not or that was just kind of uh, some kind of panic from from being attacked and knowing that she's going to turn 
What did you make of the scene in the um, hotel? So in in the so when Ellie and it's like uh, there's water and she's like can't swim. Joel's like turn it up. Um, <laughs> paraphrasing. Yeah. Uh, but then you know she she kind of goes to the to the counter and, and mucks around with the bell and and that I thought that was very Ellie like. I thought that that was a very good little. Yeah. Um, I thought that that felt like that's. I think that's when Ellie. Oh, sorry, Bella felt started to feel a lot more like Ellie. Well, I'll jump in, Zach. I'm, gl- I'm glad you said that because I was chatting to a few colleagues of mine today and I, I asked them the question, how do you feel about the casting? And they're like, yep, all in on Joel. Have no reservations specifically against Bella Ramsey, but we haven't seen her really sit into the character just yet. So they're a bit on the fence. They're just like, we've got the associations with Game of Thrones, but we haven't seen her do much early stuff. She hasn't been as boisterous as we like. She, they haven't, she hasn't been as curious as we'd like. So we're not sold yet. And I think I do agree with you. I think little moments like that was uh, what started to turn me and go, yep, you know, she's, she's doing a real good job. And there was also an earlier scene very quickly where she's flipping the knife. She's playing with a knife in the hallway uh, just after mm. um, they've uh, woken up and they've had their little debate about her bite. She's just flipping a knife, flipping a knife. Um, that's a cool little scene because I've, I've, <laughs> it's going to sound a bit silly, but I've been listening to some podcasts just lately uh, about like entertainment right up until about the mid to late 20th century, so probably about the 60s or 70s, where it was an expectation of kids to be able to do like knife tricks and that because there was really nothing else to fill your time. And if you've, like, there's no fidget spinners, you're not playing with fidget spinners, so being able to do something like that with a knife, it wasn't seen as a... Yeah, it wasn't seen as a dangerous thing per se. Like, obviously, that's a part of the appeal, but as as a kid, like you would be expected and allowed and entitled to carry around a knife and that's something that you would be doing. So now we're in this age where she can't be sitting around with fidget spinners and YouTube and stuff like that. So what she's done, she's reverted to what a child would be doing before the entertainment age. Um, not It was more of a gendered thing per se, but then she's not necessarily a um, quintessential girly girl as we might see them depicted so i I thought that was a neat little detail particularly because that is something that would be absolutely expected of a a person in her position out of boredom Mm. how have you found the the sets so far backdrops and the whatnots what do you reckon james please i i I don't mind them but i think you might have a thought yeah look I, I talked about this in my review and I think that this episode is a really good example of it. So like um, everyone is um, uh, very happy with that shot of uh, the, the, after the cold open and the credits, we open on that shot of Ellie kind of like cold up asleep in that mossy overgrown garden. And it's in that same room that we get that like sunlight pouring in from the roof and whatnot. And I think it all looks very expensive, but I think the flip side to that is it all looks incredibly manufactured to me. Um, there's a, a precision to a lot of its version of the apocalypse that I think is telling for the for the eye of someone coming from game direction where a lot of video game shots are in and of themselves quite manufactured and i think that that is just a byproduct of the fact that they are literally manufactured um these settings to me don't have much texture to them i think the hotel is a good example of like actually feeling good because you got the real water in there and it feels a bit more tactile um but generally speaking uh, and i to steal from my own review this show looks like postcards from an apocalypse to me um i, I think it is too 
considered in its in its version like it feels like everything in that room has been placed in that room not fallen in that room um and it's it's a feeling i don't really shake for the entire show i i see where you're coming from and uh, just a quick counterpoint not to discount that at all um i think it's perhaps a bit more approachable for the wider audience and a, a key example of this was they, as they're walking down the street, they see a big bombed out crater. She goes, this, she, she says something about this looking like the moon. Of course, this is a mm-hmm. reference. And then they, they start talking about the bombs. Um, but the fact that they had to, you know, take an expository detour to, to highlight this part of the environment when that could have just as easily been something that could have just sat there. They could have just left that unspoken and it still would have related to some of the audience about, you know, bombed out streets, AKA the cold open, let's bomb it all. So the fact that we have to leave little breadcrumb trails around uh, with these, as you say, manufactured environments, I, I can agree with that. I, th- I think it, it goes a long way to making this a very approachable to as wider audience as possible, particularly those that might not grok onto mm. a bit of environmental storytelling. I think what happened in that point, Ellie had tr- a triangle above her and Joel pressed that. And so the optional conversation happened ah, yes, around of course. the crowd. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh, shit. Speaking of video game stuff, I'm, I'm glad you that that's a nice little segue. Uh, we said that we didn't get a, a pallet for uh, Joel to mm. to wheel. I really <laughs> liked that joke though. I loved uh, it, where he just jumps into that shallow water. Like I thought that was very funny. <laughs> yeah, that was so good. I I, I definitely giggled out loud, and Kim was what kind was of the, like, "What was the joke?" A, a weird just weird reaction, mind? like you know, obviously yeah. have that What's context. What's the joke, so. bro? Uh, I think like they're both like Ellie and Joel are sort of like looking at the water and she's like, Oh, come on, man. I never learned how to swim. And I don't know. I think it's like some very casually, like it's not going to be a problem. Um, she's like, Oh fuck you, man. And he just steps into the water because it's that shallow. He's um, like, are you for real? A, a nice little visual gag. Yeah. We didn't, we didn't, you think we had swimming pools in QZ? Yeah. He <laughs> just like jumps in. Uh, great, great stuff. So there is another thing. Uh, and this is where we, we kind of learn a little bit more about, uh, the difference, I think, between the disease or the fungus in the game and in the show. So there's a moment, I can't remember exactly when, but it's... On the roof. It's, it is on the roof, yeah. So Tess is explaining because they're looking down at the all the all the infected because um, they're all being... Under, they're in, it's, like, it's, like a, it's like a subway or something maybe and the, you know they've all gone into this. Anyway, um, but they're saying how... Or Tess is saying that... Uh, the quarters. Oh no! I think Ellie points out that they're all connected, and then um, Tessa's kind of like, if you step on a patch of cordyceps in one location, you kind of alert, or you wake up others in another location, and then they're onto you, and they know where they are, and that's. Um, I kind of like that, as a. I do too. Yeah. yeah, I think it's a really good choice for this adaptation. It makes me wonder if, because um, obviously uh, Mazin and Drockman are working very closely together on this. I would not be surprised if that's something that pops up in uh, The Last of Us Part 3. Um, yep. That seems like a pretty natural progression. Yeah, I think it's definitely something that can be gamified uh, mm. quite easily. Like a, like a day's gone, but good. That's it, baby. Uh, that's it. Like a horde, but mm. not in a... I could have said that too, but I chose yeah. my words. Yeah. yeah, you did. You did. Um, I just wanted to make it a bit more approachable for um, mm. those. Like the show. <laughs> Full circle. Um, but, you know, yeah, that, that was quite cool. And so what, buddy, what what do you think? Because you're a big Last of Us fan. You, you still froth the uh, Factions multiplayer. How many, actually, did you play it? 
tonight. Did you did you pre preload uh, the show by playing factions? I did not. Last week I did. I jammed so much factions last week. It's not not funny, especially because they threw the kind of factions multiplayer loading music in when Joel was like throwing down the oxies and throwing back the whiskey. Is that right? I'm like, oh, the factions music. The factions music. Does anyone understand? I text my friend he, that I play with and crew up with and he's like oh my god did you hear the thing yeah us losers heard the thing oh wow um so yeah that was a fantastic that up, little thing that's i do recall you saying that so i was hoping if, if i mentioned factions you'd, you'd kind of drop that little nugget of how much of a fan you are fucking yeah, nerd lost my mind fucking um are you were saying sorry what was i saying oh yeah so h- how do you feel about the um the infected in this show or you know like the cordyceps and stuff like that compared to Actually, the no spores I like it. I'm not sorry, sure about... Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm still kind of... The jury is still out on the spores. I understand why they have to do that. Like, you don't get multi-million dollar, like, grade A actors and actresses and chuck a gas mask on them for the majority of, like, the series and have them unrecognizable. Like, from a pure marketing decision, um, you just don't do that, especially when it's Pedro Pascal. And I say no that... No one's ever done that to Pedro Pascal. And, and I say that knowing <laughs> that Disney just chuck a fucking helmet on him and then, like, kill all kind of whatever about Kill it. all of his charisma. Charisma yeah. and yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I understand that, but uh, it's, it's interesting. We'll see how it goes. I actually like the whole kind of that they're interwoven and, and connected, how kind of this, maybe this real fungus uh, kind of kind of is. And it adds a little bit more elements kind of to sneaking around and stealth that you could get in the show that maybe you couldn't get that is in the game and how kind of when you're in certain encounters, there's always going to be an enemy there and make, do not make noise and stuff. Whereas this is not always going to be someone there because you're in this kind of, you know, apocalyptic, desolate wasteland. And, you know, there's not going to be, you know, infected everywhere because of how dangerous they are. It just wouldn't make sense to be able to escape that. So I kind of liked that They can be a kilometer away and you make the one wrong move that you like every step and every like noise counts. So, uh, so far I really dig that. Cool. Nathan, you got any thoughts on the uh, connected cordies? I do, and we got to go right to the last last scene there. Uh, again, this is me suspending my disbelief. But do we do we go there now, or do we? Well, you're you're driving the car, mate. Maybe maybe we'll 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 just quickly discuss what happens, and then we'll jump to the to the final bit. Right, we'll take a detail. Um, uh, <laughs> we'll go through the museum, eh? How about that? <laughs> So that's basically where we're up to is, you know, they kind of go through the museum, which we've touched on. Uh, they see the two clickers um, and they're tough. It's a, you know, Joel has a tough time, um, but they get there. And then this is kind of, so what do you think, buddy? What do you, how do you feel? Because this is quite a big departure from the game, uh, this whole journey to the state building, right? So in this game, you know, Joel's racking up kills, by killing Fedra, I'm pretty sure, in the game. Here, they've kind of a, a adjusted it to be infected, um, which I think fits way, way better. I don't think you could have um, Joel with a fucking body count of, you know, 40 before he gets to the end of the second episode. But what do you think on that? Yeah, 100% agree. Can't have, like, Nathan Drake slaying a million people, throwing out one-liners like um, like it's nothing and kind of have the audience like, <laughs> this guy's the best. And it's the same way with Joel, kind of how we're supposed to... This early on, still kind of feel for him as, like, one of the main characters and, like, I guess in air quotes, like, a good guy or the good guy that may have done bad things without actually seeing him do these bad things. And not sure whether that how that will progress in the rest of the season or if there's a season two or whatever, however that all plays out. But at the moment, we can't have Joel just 
slaying all these people, especially when I guess it would make him kind of a, like a superhero when the infected are so strong and so dangerous. And even in their like QZ zone, once again, even like breaking one rule or kind of trying to manipulate people with, you know, the, the drug deals or anything while paying people off it. Like you have to have that kind of element of danger, not just being like slaying a million different people to get through this building. Yeah. Nathan. Yeah. You, 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 uh, you've got to look. I, I lit up when he was talking about that uh, because that is, I think, going to continue to be probably a significant departure from his character in the game so where i am just for context just currently uh, replaying through part one at the moment and having a, an absolute blast but i've just reached pittsburgh and just to give you an idea just to refresh your memory pittsburgh is where uh, joel and ellie enter via the pickup via a ute they see a dude in the streets of pittsburgh pretending he's sick uh, Joel goes, put your seatbelt on, revs up, goes to take him down. Uh, basically, to cut it short, it's a, it's an ambush, and Ellie asks him later on as they're you know recovering from that whole ordeal, how did you know? Uh, and he's like, I know he was faking it. I've been on both sides, and then it leads to a conversation where basically he's like, yeah, I've I've killed like loads of innocent people, and she's asking like, how do you feel about that? And he's like, sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. That doesn't really seem like the Joel that we've got here. Like that's definitely he's not he's not an understated badass. Like he's he's kind of he's maybe he's kind of a good guy in the show. I have. I, <laughs> unsurprisingly, I have a thought on this. Um, I I think that to read Joel from part one as an understated badass is like a fundamental misreading of that character. Um, and I think that that is largely why we had so many problems with part two discourse uh. um, is because the way that dudes identified with Joel and what he was capable of doing was idolization as opposed to kind of um, horror, I guess. And I, I think that, that it's a major problem for the TV show, actually. But that's tying into the ending, so we'll, we'll get to that when we get to it. Tasty. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, so then, then we basically get to the state building. No, no one's around. All the all the fireflies are, are dead. And I don't remember who it is, but someone steps on one of the... There's like a little... little quarter, yeah, like a little yeah. cordyceps thing. Um, it might even be Tess or it might be or something and then yeah you obviously see that not like a flashback but a whatever it is and you, know, you see them and then they're, they're all steaming out of that um station wherever they're hiding and then uh the revelation comes that uh tess has been bitten um and we all cried didn't we not Tears. really no, no I kind of rolled no, my didn't. eyes a little bit really only because of what them followed, which right. We're, okay, yeah. Ta- please go. You, you're, I know that you're dying. So. Well, no, I wasn't initially going to talk about that. I was just going to say. So with the whole like stepping on the thing, which alerts the horde. Um, do do we do we entirely buy that for that scene? Only because, oh man, it's it's weird. Like the way that scene's set up in the shots, you don't actually see them come running until it's not after the step it's actually after joel uh fires his big old magnum one shot into it's like a it's yeah yeah Mm -hmm. it is it's like a runner or something on the floor like they're having their little soft moment you know they're like oh shit you know this is not great we can't go home blah 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 blah. 
Then someone goes, and then you go, boof, and then it cuts, and then it cuts to, all right, the folks are getting up and running. And I think it kind of sets a kind of a bit, it's a bit of a weird visual communication thing for me. Because I was like, okay, so what's, what are we trying to say has alerted them? They're stepping on, or is it the gunshot? Because if we're trying to imply it's the gunshot, that's kind of a bit off. Because we've just walked into a room where there's clearly very, very recently been a shoot up, and there's almost no presence mm. of a horde. There's just a, you know a couple of dead runners, and that's it. That's all we're dealing with. Uh, and then all of a sudden, we've got a, a bloody like you know a few dozen of them encroaching. Just a weird. Never little, mind yeah. the ones that they shot in the museum, right? Like there's just like the the internal logic of how mm. these things are alerted. I find a little bit wobbly. And again, it's a it's a zombie movie. Like it doesn't matter yes. too much, right? Like at the end of the day, these are nitpicks. I just think that if you're going to establish rules within your universe, you stick to those rules. When you start bending them or breaking them, I think is when you start running into um, stakes problems because you're not really sure what the danger even looks like anymore. That's really well put. Yeah. And then. And they then. yeah, and then then we have the yeah that she's been bitten. She's so she's going to turn, um, and she's like, "You've got to go. Oh, I want you to do this thing for. I, I want you, Joel. If you love me, if you've ever loved me, Joel, you have You'll to. Let me go. Yeah, that is a that is a characterization choice. Um, I I like game tests quite a bit. Um, I think that she's she's a great character. Um, a lot of agency. A lot of moral you know complete complications <laughs> a lot of gray areas going on there and i think that the implication of intimacy and the desire for more between her and joel is better served as an implication i think that by making it explicit here and doing the whole like oh you know you never gave me as much as i gave to you or h- however it's sort of stated in the mm. show um i do think that it is a just like an unnecessary little wrinkle to add to her character um just because i think that it works better to me that she is the one that has more power in their dynamic. He's a bit of a broken man being led around by her. And I think to flip it on its head like this at the very end, especially with what's just about to happen to her, I think it does a lot of like specifically gendered stuff with her in a story that, and, and, you know, there are two schools of thought on this, right? Like, I think that sometimes, you know, writing women as uh, the romantic sort of, like, partner to a dude can be problematic. And then in other times it can be wonderful and perfect. You know, there's no clear-cut answer on any of this. I'm not, I'm not saying there should be. Um, I just, I personally don't like what was done here with Tessa's character. I think that the game version of this scene, while briefer, um, is a, a much clearer sort of emotional through line. Buddy. But if anyone disagrees, like, please feel free to say so. Like, I, I know I talk a lot, but... he's <laughs> ready to rant. No, I, I, I agree in that sense that I like game tests better and I felt like they kind of did her dirty in the way that she kind of um, went out and the whole kind of, especially what's coming with the whole being submissing and, and live takeover. Like, she's such a strong character and such a strong actress and her performance in My Hunter, like, I, I know I said this to you privately, Zach, but I feel like she is up against, like, two big actors in Mindhunter and she not only just holds her own but like goes toe-to-toe with them and I feel like she was like the absolute standout of episode one and then here just to have her go out that way I felt like it was just disingenuous to her kind of the way she kind of played Robert and talked her way out of that situation and then kind of how crafty that she is in in this world um the whole relationship thing like I gave you more than I didn't ask you to give me more I, I didn't really I didn't really kind of mind that at all in the fact that kind of she knows uh joel's situation uh, obviously 
we don't know what happens with Joel's wife, I think, but obviously the situation with Sarah and whatever Joel's gone through in the 20 years and kind of being this, they've been through a lot and being emotionally shut down and whatever. Like, I don't think Tess was really ever asking him for reciprocation. And it was kind of just like a, you know, you get what you want out of it and I get what I want out of it. Just kind of this, whether we're lonely or have, have just have someone's back. Um, I think they made that decision based like maybe for a, a TV audience in the sense that like, why do we care that Tess dies? We don't understand who she is or what she is based on we've only seen her in episode one, episode two. Um, if we have a romantic through line with them, then maybe we kind of sympathize, empathize with this because Joel's the main character and then she dies. Obviously, that's not great writing, um, but I didn't really have too much problem. It's more like later on with her being submissive and kind of the way she goes out. Uh it kind of was like mm. the thing that upset me the more most thing about her character not upset me just yeah just i thought it was unnecessary and kind of would have liked to have seen played out differently um what did you actually think of uh and, and funny observation kim said before like i just asked her i was like oh, i'm going to record this thing um what do you what do you what are you making of it all and she's like oh man they're killing a lot of fe- female characters off early <laughs> i'm just like <laughs> oh my god that's funny i can't wait for uh can't wait for james here that one not wrong. Not wrong yeah. Though. What did you actually think of Anna Anna Torv? Torv. Anna Torv. Yeah. She, Her she's awesome. Performance. Norbin, oh, local she was very talent. Good. Is she really? Yeah, man. Mm. Oh, I think I knew that actually. Anyway, she's Gold, Gold Coast, forgot. right? And then went to Melbourne, or vice versa, something like that. Aussie, Aussie. Tra- uh, trying to claim her. But she was, she was, she's very good in this. I, yes. I, I think she plays Tess very well. Yes. Alrighty, so. The horde's on the way. Someone's revved a bike out the front. Maybe it's Deacon St. John. Maybe it's not. Who knows? <laughs> but um, the horde is coming and she's been bitten. She's like, you got to go. You got you to gotta do it. And then they make the decision, you know, Joel and Ellie make the decision to continue the journey. Joel promises her that she'll do it. Oh, sorry, that he'll do it. Uh, and then we get the probably one of the strangest scenes in the whole series season season sorry i reckon um we have this you know the horde comes in so she's trying to light this she, she goes around and knocks a few uh gas or fuel cans over or whatnot i think yeah Is that, bunch yeah? of grenades yeah. yeah um and then tries to light the you know does the old oh trying to light the drops the car keys when being chased by but mm-hmm. jason and then uh yeah she's trying to light the thing and then obviously one of the he's not a clicker is he he's just a, a runner yeah, he's just a runner and um, comes up and gives her one final memory to... Tendrils her. That's it, mate. Passionately. Passionate tendrils. Uh, This is... um, Take it away. Yeah. No, it's... it's It's a gendered death. Like, it is a very specific, vaguely sexual brutalizing of a a woman. Um, And I think that... um, I just think it's unnecessary. Like I, I don't like, okay. So like I've seen a couple of interpretations of this that like thematically, this is an episode about connections between people about, uh, the connection that, um, Tess is missing from Joel. And so having, um, that contrasted with what we learn about the, um, the cordyceps and stuff here being that they're all connected and you know, that they've all got that sense of family and longing that maybe Tess is seeking from Joel. And like one, that's a very charitable read. Like I, I, I I'm not sure that Mazin and Druckmann are, are operating on that level here. Um, to me, 
I just think that they saw an opportunity to do a really grisly death and they took it without maybe thinking too much about the implications of what they were saying by doing this to one of the show's few women. Um, and I just, yeah, I, I, I don't think it adds anything. I think it, you know, that, that kind of fumbling with the lighter, you know, passively standing there, letting this happen to oh, her, that is not shit. Tess. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's movie shit. It's, it's general audience writing. It's not character writing for, for who this woman was. Um, uh, yeah, I did, did not care for it. No. Were you also a little bit confused? I think that, well, is it that uh, runner seemed to be like more human? Well, that's it. Like it, it reacts to her differently than like, like anything else reacts in the show. Um, yeah. And it's like, we're doing such a specific thing here. And like, it is clearly a specific choice. I'm sure they have an internal logic for why they've done what they've done. Can and maybe in the, the podcast episode. So uh, yeah, it, do you yeah. want, do you want the, uh, the quote quotes from Mazin over it? Yes, please. All right, so Mazin, um, let's let's go to this first. Felt the kiss between Tess and the infected underscored the theme of love, noting the creatures were still capable of love through their spread of the fungus. Uh, Druckmann wanted to frame the light, uh, frame and light the shot of the kiss in a beautiful way to emphasize its creepiness. Uh, So there's that, and then I'll give you I'll give you this, James, as well. Not sure Mazin and Druckmann are operating on that level, though, but. (laughs) <laughs> um, no no it's it's good to frame uh things like that happening to women in a beautiful light yeah Absolutely. and and this was um also mazin where did the clicker kiss come from um what he says like asking these questions why are the infected people violent if the point is to spread the fungus why do they need to be violent we landed on that they don't they're violent because you resist but what if you don't what does it look like if you just stand perfectly still and let them do this to you then we landed on this nightmare fuel it's disturbing and it's a vo- volatile violative sorry i think it's very primal in the way it invades your own body uh to use an overused word it's triggering triggering um so so yeah uh the 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 fact that he's like reading that and giving a little bit more context kind of frustrates me more because the whole idea of like being submissive to it and letting it take you over but then having that scene happen directly after this this moment where tess has gone you know i didn't you know i didn't expect you to feel this way joel and kind of you know almost like does do, do they want to like is there one last goodbye hug or kiss it's not in either of their characters to kind of really ask or want for that right but then you frame this kind of kiss whatever mm-hmm. thing like takeover like n- n- subduedness uh, yeah. in the next scene i hate how that was like kind of paired paired together that was like my biggest frustration not just because of the whole kiss and everything like if we see another character fucking get taken like this later yes. on and it's not a fucking female character yes. then okay maybe this is something that happens in the world but you know i'm highly like i haven't seen it but i'm highly doubting that's something that's going to happen again and the, the way that it was like done like if you're going to stand there and be submissive so that you can get the lighter off in in time so that you save like you make the sacrifice for something to make it like some kind of weird sexual connection type thing after what we've just seen and kind of joel's lack of caring and kind of tess's i kind of care for you but it's all good that we got you know whatever this is the end type thing that that really just like i have uh, irked me i have a prediction on this uh so episode three or four we're gonna obviously see bill uh from the game this is not you know this is kind of implied but um there is a sequence towards the end where we see uh, Bill tries to get a, a battery, right, to get his car up and running. Uh, battery's gone, finds out his mate Frank had stolen it. Frank was going to leave town without him. Uh, Frank's Frank. hung himself. Uh, is it Frank, Frankie? 
Yeah, it's Frank. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and then uh, just shortly after that, we also find out that apparently uh, it was impl- implied that uh, Bill, well, Bill's got a stash of, of gay porno mags. It's it's going to happen to Bill. We're going to see the kiss with Bill, mate. And it's going to be some shitty... He didn't get the love from Frank that he wanted because Frank hates him. And <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I've put a bow on it. There you go. So watch out for that. That would have put a bow on it. Yeah. <laughs> is he... Okay. Is he going to be... Is it going to be while reading one of the porno mags? Does it have to be? If it was a slasher, maybe. You're going too too far now. You do bring up a good point, though, right? Is that, like, Drockman and and Mazin wouldn't have done this between two men. They never even would have considered doing this to a dude. That's Um, that's the thing, isn't it? That right there is everything you need to know about this scene. There's, like, two two or three things that I hate seeing in movies, like, like unspoken rules, unless there's some, like, very good justification for those things to be happening. Um, And it's just, I guess, just me. Uh, Childbirth. I don't need to mm. see that. Uh, rape scenes mm. and sc- like skull, like skulls getting crushed. You're actually, visibly, Ooh. visibly seeing cru- sc- yeah. crushed skulls. So, did, did you watch the, House the, of the, the Dragons, bro? No, nah, I don't care for that. <laughs> okay. um, so, <laughs> so ha- like throwing it back to like the hills have eyes, where there's a zombie that actually like the remake in 06 where there's a zombie that rapes a woman in that Jesus. scene. Like I immediately yeah. have like fucking when she's getting kissed by this thing, like non-consensual mm-hmm. affection from the, I like it's, I'm already having a flashback to heels have eyes and it's nothing like that, that bad, but like guess the, the way it's mm. like kind of posed, it's just like, why there's gotta be a reason for this. Like why we see this. Love, yeah. bro. They love. Well, that's it. It's framed beautifully. That's it. <laughs> What if oh, you that just, quote actually, yeah, that made it so much worse for me. What Thank if you, you just buddy. took it? Like, <laughs> yeah, what if you, what if, what if what you didn't if you just, fight back? Yeah, Let's what if you it. just kind of stood around what and let it happen it. to you? Yeah. What if yeah. I just stand stand there at, at Pax Oz waiting for Zach just for just <laughs> buddy, for what, What's Buddy doing? He's just standing there. <laughs> Terrible, terrible. It's it's like that's like I'm very generous from what I've seen so far, like episodes one and two. But that's probably like the one blemish that's kind of hasn't made sense in a trying to adapt a video game, give more context to people that can't play or make things matter where you don't have agency over character. Like out of all the things I've kind of seen so far, that's the one thing that's just made me go, okay, that's the first thing that's mm, Mm. made me go. Nah, you got an instinctive eye roll from me. Yeah, Mm. she should have just cooked him. I reckon. Tess is badass. Should have just lit that lit that fucking lighter. Well, look, it would have been better, eh? Would have. And then Joel comes in and gives her a, gives her a kiss and then leaves again. After she's cooked them, just oh, okay. to just to get a sneaky, beautifully framed kiss in there, you know. Uh, hey, you're the romantic, Zach. I know. I know. You hey, and Neil Druckmann. I know. Anyway. Right. <laughs> Me and Big Neely, eh? Yeah. Right. All right. And that's the end. All right, is it? Yes. Now, I'm, I'm aware of how long we've run tonight, so I, I, I don't want to keep us up for too much longer, but I do want to note here because I think this is going to be an ongoing conversation that we have. Nathan kind of touched on this earlier. Um, but in changing this from the game where a bunch of uh, Fedra agents show up and Joel gets into a shootout with them, I think you are, and I, I talked about this in episode one, where the removal of Joel's violence from these scenes, I think is, I understand the whole idea of not wanting a body count. I get that. You can, you can downgrade the body counts on these scenes to still make them impactful. But I think that specifically taking away his, uh, his murder and his violence 
is doing the characterization no favors given where everyone knows this story. Well, where we all know this story is going, right? We're not going to talk about it for general audiences. We'll get there when we get there. Um, but I think that specifically the way that we're meant to relate to Joel is concerning for mm. me. Okay. Do you think that that's why the beat up scene in the first episode is so brutal? Uh, no, and I, like I talked about this last week and I think, I, well, like, okay, yes, the violence me. is brutal, right? The act of violence itself is brutal, but the framing of it is his reaction to the memory of his daughter dying. And so yeah. your emotional reaction to it is recontextualized. Um, in the game, it's still a brutal act of violence. Those dudes get the, like the dude and the chick, they get their heads blown off. Right. Mm. But it's casual. It's quick. It's thoughtless. And I think that not giving him thoughtless acts of violence and instead only giving him very purposeful outbreaks really changes who the dude is and what the dude will do. It's, it's hard to say that without power of hindsight. Like, I guess less of that, like you're saying less of a body count. I was hoping uh, in my mind, I'm like, okay, they're making these decisions. So when he does do these like brutal acts, they're kind of like, out of nowhere and like oh shit, this is actually the real Joel instead of like, they've got so many more story beats to hit where they're going to, slay multiple n- nobodies for no for no reason like the okay I won't, yeah i won't say it but um yeah well it's hard mm. yeah it's hard to say yeah, that's what i'm thinking in my mind that the, the moments are kind of coming it's where he's right. is what it is potentially expose his real 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 self all right hmm. then we hit the credits i guess uh and yeah. that was it fade to black fade to black uh, and then there was a little teaser for... I've actually seen the, the teaser for next week's episode. Um, but did you... Buddy or Nathan, did you get a, an idea of... Nah, was there a teaser? Surely there was a teaser. I hit the credits, I'm out of there. See ya. Okay, okay, cool. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> right, I've got no case. time for next week on, on, on so-and-so. I'm there. I'm already watching it. Yeah, cool. yeah I'm happy to go in blind. You've already got me. Cool. Hook, line and tendril, say. Got your right in. There's a podcast name. <laughs> Is it? Hmm. Alright, uh, thank you for listening to this week's episode of this episode episode of the uh, well played VHS potty of episode two, The Last of Us. If you want to check out the other two, uh, the other the first one being uh, James and I our review, which is spoiler free. So if you want to jump back in and read James's glowing. Beautifully framed review. You can uh, you can check that out. Otherwise, we Which will see. I get further and further away from every week. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get can't change the score, bro. It's locked in. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, we will see you next week, buddy. Amazing to to have you on. Will we see you next week? Will, sorry, will we hear uh, you next week? I think you got a press screening with Ashley Hobley from Explosion really? Network. Shout outs uh, next right. week. So I'm um, getting lucky enough to go to that. So. Maybe, maybe not next week. Week after. Is it the press screening of... Not of this, right? No, it's... Uh, what's that? Batista movie? Knocking the Cabin Oh, right, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Oh. Cool. Shyamalan. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I forgot it was his movie. Oh, I cannot wait. Old sucked. That's stoked. Another, uh, that's another... Yeah. <laughs> well, either way, look forward to hearing your thoughts on uh, next week's episode. Until then, Nathan, James. Cheerio. We'll see you. See you around. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. See you when I'm looking at you.